0: Hello and welcome back to the National Association for Primary Education podcast. My name is Mark Taylor, I'm the Vice Chair of NAEP and also the producer of this show. And today I'm really excited because we have Dr Jane Dorian coming on to talk to us and she wrote an article for our primary first journal entitled Teacher Training in England and Wales, the Potential Impact of Curriculum 2022 on QTS. So Jane, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you. Lovely to be here.
0: So, why don't we start with that title of the article and um, and what's it all about? And, and where did you get the idea for writing it?
1: Um, well, um, actually, in the in the light of the current situation that we're all experiencing with um, with the COVID nineteen lockdown, and um, it th- this is bringing into focus the differences between the four home nations, and that was kind of where I was coming from uh, with the, with this article because there are big changes happening with the curriculum in Wales and when I was speaking with colleagues um, working in teacher education in England and Scotland and Ireland they weren't aware of those differences Um, and it got me to thinking that if if you're a teacher in Wales at the moment or if you're a teacher educator in Wales at the moment most of your headspace is being taken up with the impact of curriculum change massive implications across the board across all age phases and yet outside Wales there wasn't Um, any kind of conversation going on around that and that made me start thinking around well what other other kind of differences are apparent or might become apparent between the approaches in these home nations that that might be coming over the horizon that we're not really thinking about Um, and at that time Um, I was working in Cardiff Metropolitan University, which is a uh, teacher education provider. And we were in the process then of um, rewriting the um, PGCE programme. And it made me realise that actually a lot of the content that we were looking at, um, both content-wise and pedagogy-wise, was related to the new curriculum in Wales, which is very different than the new curriculum in England, but students that qualified in Wales would be qualified to teach in England and vice versa. And that kind of led me down that path of, well, it, are we are we doing the best service by um, having this um, transferable qualification, or are we kind of setting people up to fail? So, you know, if, if we're training students in in one particular philosophy pedagogy approach that relates to a particular curriculum, and they're just expecting newly qualified teachers to be able to transfer that into a new curriculum framework, um, is is that potentially an additional issue that could affect um, you know uh, retention in the in the profession and, and wider? Implications around that
0: as well, and I guess that's one of the key points. Is are you are you teaching teachers to go and work in your country, whatever that country happens to be? Um, and like you say, especially when the curriculums are going to be slightly different. And I guess, like I say, that depends on on all of the home nations. Or are you teaching teachers to teach as an overall yep. arc, um, and and also I guess. One of the things that struck me when I was reading your article was the fact that if you were going to change jobs or you were going to change departments, you would normally have some kind of um, retraining or insights into the new job that you were doing. So it would seem to me that that would be natural if you were then going to change from being a teacher in Wales to a teacher in England. But like you say, when you're starting off to begin with, it's it, it, I guess it's having both of those thoughts in your in in your mind and. Um, in, in your opinion, what do you think is the is the most important um, starting point for that? Is it the fact that you know teaching is something which is across the board because we're dealing personally with with young children and then sort of not below that but separate to that is is the kind of content that we're wanting to provide as well
1: it's a tricky question isn't it because you know it, it's, it's it's almost a fundamental of is teaching about what you teach or or how you do it um and I think um the, 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 it's, it's a really knotty question. Um, I think with PGCE um, provision as it is being kind of so time intensive and so classroom based, that the, the focus does seem to be perhaps more on that content. Just because you have to, um, you know, get, get through those standards, and to get through the standards, you have to deliver some content that's going to evidence those. Um, on longer courses, so for example, on on the um, um, three year QTS courses, there may be more time perhaps to explore different pedagogies and different philosophies, and for for students to um, kind of develop their own um, identity, their professional identity. Um, but you know, I think it's something that 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 develops as well as you become as you as you progress within your career. So i think you have to be able to um have those standards that show that you know what you need to teach that you know that that's what the curriculum is there for but i think having more emphasis before people come into the profession on the professional identity aspect would be would be useful because you know if, if as you said if i was to transfer um if i was to go and teach in scotland or northern ireland for example i would have to take a um A a kind of transference course that upskilled me in what the curriculum there was but there isn't necessarily any requirement there to explore my my pedagogical approaches or the philosophies that underpin what what um, how I do what I do so you can you know you can you can kind of add those because they're knowledge based but I think it depends on on, on how much time you've got available and, and and um and what the qualification is asking you to do. And I think the qualification, the, the standards as they're set up at the moment, are more predicated on the the, the content and knowledge um side of it rather than the how's wise the pedagogical identity kind of side of things
0: so why don't we talk a little bit about that um in terms of your understanding of of the, the new um wells curriculum once that comes in in 2022 and how that differs true, yeah. to, to, from what people are actually thinking um would be the, the the current system set up
1: so the the system um as it stands in wales or the um since devolution we've we've Kind of started to um sail away a little bit as it were, so um in early years for example which was which was where I spent a lot of my teaching career in the classroom we do, we have the foundation phase rather than early years' foundation stage um which um is a much more um, experiential and less assessed um approach than um early years um, foundation stage. Then we we currently have national curriculum in very much the same format as it is in England, um, with with subject um, organised by subjects, and that carries on up until um, key stage three and key stage four. There are additional uh, bits and pieces as well. So obviously there's there's Welsh language elements, um, and there are increasingly um, Welsh cultural elements as well. Um, the new Curriculum will go from um, three to sixteen and it will be built on um, four purposes so um, the the purposes are to create ambitious capable learners enterprising creative contributors ethical informed citizens and healthy competent individuals so they're the four Pillars or the the four purposes that um, that will go from three right up to sixteen, and that they will be um, driving all the all the pedagogy and all the learning. And instead of having subjects, there will be six areas of learning and experience. Um, uh, so there's will be expressive arts, health and wellbeing, humanities, languages, literacy, communication, maths and numeracy, science and technology. Um, and the idea is that these are not subjects. So um, Expressive arts, for example, they can involve maths, um, it can involve um, science, Uh, maths and numeracy can involve language and literacy. it's, um, It's looking at holistic learning and it's very much embedded in the locality that the the school and the learners are in, um, and the work that's going on at the moment is to um, upskill teachers and staff within schools to create their own curriculum based upon those purposes and those areas of learning. Um, so it's that that's the approach that has kind of started with foundation phase, and it it's trickled into bits and pieces of uh, key stage one and key stage two. Massive differences for key stage three and key stage four um to kind of come out of those those subject approaches and and um look up uh, where those crossovers will be where they can be there's lots of discussion obviously going on at the moment around um the end point and assessment because these these um uh, young people will still take formal examinations. So, you know, the, the conversations around, well, how do you get a physics GCSE out of something that hasn't necessarily got a physics label on it, for example? And there's also a lot of work going on around um, professional development um uh, and upskilling um, um, staff, all the staff within the school and within the um, the local authority area, into developing communities of practice. How they're going to share their ideas, how they're going to shape that curriculum. Um, so, you, significantly different than than um, national curriculum. Um, So, uh, and as I said, it was as being part of those discussions which are going on at the moment, there's lots and lots of of, um, consultation, face to face consultation, online consultation, training events going on where, you know, policymakers are meeting staff to discuss how this is going to look. And that's what um, triggered my thinking around, well, how can this transfer across if you're involved in that kind of uh, curriculum creation and you're, you know, you're looking at what's happening in your local area and planning an expressive arts um, activity based on what's happening in your local youth centre, how are you then going to be expected to just transfer that across into a system whereby, uh, no, we're doing, you know, we, we do dance and that's or PE and this is this is what it looks like they're, they're coming from quite different places
0: it's almost like the ultimate cross-curricular idea but the essence is that it has to be cross-curricular because that's where you're starting from you're not trying to make it cross-curricular it just is what it is and then you'll sort of be yeah. able to to put the different educational in a traditional sort of inverted commas element in into exactly what that is which is something I I really love because I just think and I also like the idea of it being localized as well because of course I think everybody can relate to things that they know <laughs> and, and and having it based yeah. on you know what you're doing locally and you know is really important and and one of the things that I have noticed is I, um, on my education on fire podcast is I've interviewed people who've taken that local idea in terms of what they've been learning and what they've done but because you also then have the option to talk to people online and skype and interview people they've been able to make it global as well and i think having that two hand in hand approach has been absolutely fantastic
1: i think so and i and i mean that's one of the there have been a a number of drivers that have you know um that have led us to this path really and as i mentioned you know since devolution there's there, there have been various kind of changes happening um but, but I think you know one of the one of the big push pushbacks was because when national curriculum was introduced um lots of the content there was didn't really neatly relate to the local area um, or it, it was very difficult for people to make local connections to it. So I can remember, for example, when I, when I very first qualified, which seems like a hundred years ago now, <laughs> um, but um, um, I was teaching in a, in a new town um, in, in the South Wales, in South Wales valleys that, that had been built in the 1960s. Um, and the, the history curriculum at that time, year five was Tudors and there wasn't a rich tudor history in this 1960s town so it was very it was, you know it was very difficult for for me to kind of bring that to life in a really meaningful way because everything i was relying on was you know but secondary sources if i'd been able to look at the history of you know why that town was built there what what facilities we had what had happened it, it you know it, it's it's obvious it's a much more um engaging and meaningful and realistic experience for the well both for the teacher and and the learner and I think um that that Um, the creation of national curriculum that didn't clearly have a a Welsh element to it. Um, There was was quite a pushback against that, and I think that was the trigger for where we are now, which, as as you say, is much more about looking at where we are and where our connections or where the most sensible connections between our locality and other localities are, rather than kind of being centralised and told, "Oh, well, actually, you know, this is what you need to do. This is the connection you need to make. It, it, it makes for much more meaningful and embedded learning. Hopefully, I mean, that's not to say that there's not a lot of... Um, wariness in the profession you know that people are um, re- resistant to change for lots of reasons and um, when foundation phase was brought in which which um, which is built on on these areas of learning you know there was there was resistance to that I, I, I was an advisory teacher um, for early years when foundation phase was, was introduced um, in uh, 2000 and I went to lots of settings that said oh yeah we we do we do foundation phase in the afternoon we do literacy and numeracy the, you know the important stuff in the morning and then we do foundation phase in the afternoon was thinking it's not really how this kind of approach works you know we, it's not a kind of pick and mix kind of approach and there are conversations you know around how we break down those subject barriers that are you know, so well established and, and, and wider conversations around. Well, even if you can do that in school, how is that going to translate out into wider society? You know, where people have an expectation in school that you are doing English, math, science, history, geography. You know, if you if you're then in a situation where you um, uh, learners are t- uh, uh, learners are going home so No, we don't, we didn't do science, we did i don't know what you know there's not a neat subject a, a label to it then there's there's potential therefore um you know misunderstanding and um, um misinterpretation with with families and learners and wider society which again you know has to be has to be looked at and is being discussed as to as to how that's going to look as well because that obviously you know takes time and has an impact on how successful the curriculum is as well you need that buy-in and understanding from wider society too
0: and and I guess having I mean these things have to start at some point and you know 2022 is the date that's set but of course it must take many years for this to embed because like I say you know from from a QTS point of view if you're studying now um, based on the fact this is what's going to happen it's very different than a teacher that's been teaching in Wells, you know for 20 or 30 years and then having to like I say retrain on the job as it were for this whole new setup um, so do you think that sort of QTSs are going to have a bit more um, of an advantage just because they're, they're, they're going to be aware of all this happening while they're actually learning?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I'd like to think so. I think a lot of the messages that, um, that I've heard and lots of the settings that I've been to, the meetings I've been to, the literature that I've come out, the language is already um, um, Permeating through things around being a reflective practitioner, um, you know looking at what what your understanding is, challenging yourself, working collegiately, you know not having a, a clear right answer or a clear way forward um, which which promotes that kind of um, uh, you know th- those kind of networks that you need for this kind of curriculum to succeed, which is very different than, as you say you know twenty years ago where where things were much more kind of siloed, um, and both in a subject um, manner, but also in an age phase manner. You know, there were you know, infants. What happened in the infants wasn't necessarily, you know, known or um, or kind of linked meaningfully to what happened in the juniors and and, and the same with that transition period between juniors and, and secondary. Um, so, yeah, I'd like to think that the kind of language and the kind of um, focus on professionalism and professional identity is starting to permeate through and will continue to. I'd go back to the point that I made earlier, though, that there has to be enough room in the training programme for that to happen. So, there has to be, you know, value attached to um time to develop identities and to explore what that means and the challenges and how you might deal with that and balancing that up against the the, the content knowledge that has to be there too. You know, and, and as I said, in the PGCE situation, very time intensive, then that that has to be carefully managed. And I think there's possibly work to do even before that as well around recruitment, both onto PGC courses and to um, three year or um, longer QTS courses around selection processes that, that make it very clear to students that, well, certainly students that can come and work in um, in the curriculum 2020 scenario, um, that that it's not necessarily the the teaching that you would be going into isn't necessarily the teaching that you've experienced. And I think that's an important message because I think lots of um, trainee uh, teachers come into the profession because they had really positive experiences of school themselves, particularly in primary phase. They've got really good memories of being in that in that setup and, um, you know, being involved. Um, And when they when they come into teacher training that's where they're coming from they want to almost replicate that situation and that's going to be increasing well I mean it, it can't happen now but it would be increasingly difficult to do if you've come through a national curriculum uh, um, education and then you want to try and replicate that under the what what the um, idea for 2020 is so how that, um, how that selection and recruitment is, um, is managed, I think, would, is an important part to play as well, because you, I think you could end up with students finding it very challenging, you know, um, going, into, um, going into classrooms, delivering sessions or expecting to deliver sessions that are very neatly packaged in a subject, and that's not what they're going to be required to do. And so that has to be flagged up really clearly to, to allow them, you know, the maximum chance to succeed
0: and i've two or three things which i just thought about there you talked about you know having to do gcse physics um for example um and at the moment of course there's lots of testing and lots of focus on on kind of grading and, and all that kind of thing in primary mm-hmm. schools is that something which is going to be less apparent un, under this sort of new curriculum or is that still going to be there but in a slightly different format?
1: Um, well, the, I mean, assessment regimes um, in primary in Wales have are not the same as in England at the moment. So we, the, we, we do have um, um, SATs, so there's, there's teacher assessment, but for example, we don't have the uh, publication of league tables, um, the, um, the 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 pressure is isn't the same then as 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 it is in uh, as it is in England it's much more light touch um, assessment and a lot more focus on uh, teacher assessments Um, and the the thinking at the moment is that that will continue and there are debates going on as there always are with assessment you know there's the school of thought of we don't we're not finding out enough and that's why you know Wales is PISA scores and our our SAT scores we're we are the lowest of uh, of the home nations and there is always a drive for you know we need to be assessing more strongly we need to be doing that differently um but the the document that um underpinned the creation of curriculum 2020 um was a um a document called successful futures written by um uh, professor grain donaldson and he as part of that um, looked at the assessment strategy and felt that the um the the teacher assessment and the um the the move away from a very formalized structured assessment was the way forward and that was one of the drivers for um moving into this more um holistic curriculum as well. So, moving away from, right, okay, today is your English spelling test into, okay, we're going to have some assessment that's going to be related to what we're finding out now. And I think that it would be very difficult to have a very formalised assessment structure um, primary with the with the new curriculum going forward. As I mentioned, it, at the secondary phase, that's a, that's a very different kettle of fish because there, there still does, there still will be formal examinations at the end. I think the the, the hope is that by the time students, uh, pupils get to secondary phase they will have enough um transferable learning skills and um and enough um kind of um knowledge to be able to apply their or to be able to um fit into subjects even if they're not labeled as subjects if you if you see what i mean so there's that kind of hope that they, they see themselves as successful learners and that the subject will will be um, they'll be able to access that subject as part of their learning rather than being forced into the subject but um, exactly how that will look is that's still up for debate and I have to put my hands up and say that I'm not in the secondary phase so I'm not really party to the the kind of nuts and bolts of that discussion.
0: And I guess the the other thing that strikes me about um, what we've just been talking about is the ability to actually have um classes of different ages or, or like you say because you're talking about subject areas or areas of life that that um um over arc this whole thing th- there's much more um potential there to be working across different traditional sort of classes and ages
1: yeah, and that that links back really to um, the four purposes that underpin the curriculum. Um, very much about um, learners seeing themselves as part of, uh, as part of wider societies, wider circles of society. Um, and that links up with there's there's a much wider agenda in Wales. We've got the Wellbeing of Future Generations Act, um, 2015, that puts an onus on all establishments in Wales, um whether they're private sector, public sector, third sector, um, they have to acknowledge the work that they're doing now and how that will impact on the well-being of future generations. And um, This curriculum fits in with that. So it's very much about um, learners and teachers looking um, at how they fit into society, not how they fit into a particular classroom at a particular time. And lots of the learning... Um, that's being put forward at the moment or lots of the ideas that are being put forward at the moment are around shared learning experiences, um, um, older students or older pupils working with younger pupils, pupils in different areas working together and the same with um, uh, the the schools. So schools sharing expertise um, uh teachers and learn, uh, learning assistants sharing their expertise and also bringing society and local communities into schools and asking schools to go out into their local communities as well. So really trying to Break down those barriers. So you know, it's similar to that. Get, getting rid of um, subject labels. It's it's really about breaking down that um, all those silos. You know, I'm I'm in year five. I'm doing science on it's Wednesday, and this is my one teacher. It's very much about seeing right okay where can this learning happen what's happening who can do it everybody's got some something to do with that and that goes back to what i was saying about the work that's being done or will need to be done to make that more apparent to the local community as well and in some places that's already happening really effectively um there's you know there's lots of um uh, communities where um, schools have set themselves up as as learning hubs um, where they've you know they've already got the local nursery there's connections with old people's homes um, there's connections with community cafes you know lots of lots of initiatives and things that, that are going on and they are the approaches that are, are being kind of looked at to, as, as models of what could happen.
0: And I really like the fact that that becomes a starting point rather than a barrier, because I mean, certainly in this day and age with safeguarding and all of that kind of thing, a lot of that openness and that community feel is often, uh, certainly from slightly outside, it feels like that that's sort of closed off because it's that, you know, they're getting through everything it needs to do mm. in order to get someone to even visit the school, let alone actually go out into the community. Um, and, and, and while, you know, safeguarding is incredibly important, that... If if your aim is to actually have that community and to have that as an uh, an enrichment of what you're able to to do as part of your school life, then you have to look at the idea of safeguarding separately, don't you? Because it's got Absolutely, a different approach. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and I think, I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why this idea of the four purposes, one of which is to become an ethical, informed citizen, and that gives permission to settings to do exactly what you're saying there, you know, to, to, on both sides, to give, um, to give um, teachers and learners permission, as it were, to go out into their locality and make informed decisions and uh, choices and see what's happening, but also to invite Invites people in to talk about, you know, the challenges that they that they um, that they're dealing with or what what they do and why they do it. So those the four purposes are kind of the introduction to all the documentation. They are front and center to the whole that, you know, they they they're kind of presented before you get to the areas of learning that these are these are what the purpose of this curriculum is to produce these um these people these learners contributors citizens individuals um and and that that's um a, a really clear driver that this is not a curriculum that is about everybody having one academic outcome it's acknowledging that for for communities and societies to to grow the, all of these different aspects need to be apparent you you know there's still that clear academic need but it's not at the cost of those those kind of wider wider social um, elements
0: and i guess we should also talk about the fact that the welsh language is an integral part of mm. of what this is tell us a little bit about that implication
1: um so um welsh has been um a compulsory subject in uh, in welsh schools since um Uh, since since devolution, sorry. Um, And it's been done in in various different ways. So obviously we've got Welsh medium schools where all of the teaching and learning is done through the medium of Welsh. and then we've got English medium schools where students uh, and uh, where children learn Welsh. I, they learn it incidentally through the day. So, you know, you say, Bore good morning, and sing Pembley's Happy when it's somebody's birthday, those kind of things. And they have um, Welsh um, lessons, Welsh lessons as well. And that's from three right up to 16. Um, schools manage that in different ways as well. So some schools will have... Um, um, uh, the pp uh, ppa i was gonna say ppe that's very different <laughs> ppa time where they'll have one lang- one um well-speaking member of staff that will deliver welsh language uh, teaching to all the different age groups and then others um all of the staff um you know speak welsh or learn welsh or whatever and um, and in teacher training in wales obviously if you're if you're wherever you're from if you're doing a teacher training there you will be in schools and you will need to speak some Welsh so you know again that kind of goes back to to what I was saying in the article that um if you're if you're coming over to train in Wales you will have to learn Welsh regardless of whether you've got no uh, whether you have any um uh, intention of, of, of um living there at all um So that's the kind of current situation that everybody has to do it. There is um, a huge push um, in Wales at the moment for further development of the Welsh language. The Welsh uh, Welsh government have committed to a million Welsh speakers by uh, 2050. Depending on where you are in the country is how far away um, is is kind of um, what percentage of Welsh is spoken. So very, very roughly, the nearer you are to the English border, the lower the percentage of Welsh being spoken. But those, those numbers are going up and up and up and up. Um, and also, we've now got Welsh language standards, uh, which means that Welsh is an official language. Um, it's a legal language and all providers again public sector private sector third sector you have to offer the um, opportunity to for your um, consumers or for your um, clients to communicate with to, with you through the medium of welsh and that's only going to get stronger as it were so again um with with regard to um excuse me um, to teacher training and um curriculum delivery that welsh language um issue and that welsh language momentum is going to get more and more significant because that that they're not going to change that target and they don't need to change that target because more and more people are um, learning Welsh, becoming fluent Welsh speakers. And and again, it kind of goes back to what I was saying at the beginning, they're, they're, um, they're, this notion of the differences between the, the home nations, not in a negative way, but in a kind of identity way has been more of a a kind of sharp focus has been thrown onto it during the 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 recent pandemic where you know what's happening in England is not the same as what's happening in Wales and that has triggered discussions around well should it be should we be the same shouldn't we be the same um why what's different why is it different what needs to be different how different do I want it to be those kinds of conversations are really coming to the fore um and, and the Welsh language is is a part of those conversations. It's always kind of bubbled away. Um, you know, there's always been conversations around bilingual road signs and you know, all the the kind of standard jokes about oh everyone was speaking Welsh and oh, everyone was speaking English in the pub and someone walked in and then everyone spoke Welsh and you know all those kinds of weird uh, um, kind of urban myths about it. But it is becoming a much more um, a much more open subject and i and and and, and i think it's not going to go away and the, it will inevitably impact on teaching and learning and curriculum as well because because as more people speak welsh the um, welsh language medium education is going to increase and all of the associated um, requirements for that you know whether that be um, teachers support assistance um resources all of those all of those things will need to be there in, as, in place as well
0: and i think you're right i think this whole sort of opening of discussions about, um, you know, the difference between the home nations in, in 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 all regards, but specifically, obviously, here in with education, you know, people can make that choice in terms of this is the type of world I want to live in, in terms of the sorts of schools I want to be in, I want to teach in this particular way, and so you know, the the cross um, country divide in terms of teacher training actually may become I guess a little bit more of a hard one in in terms of actually I want to be part of this particular curriculum rather than that not depending on where that you live but where you actually want to be working and where you want to have your influence
1: yeah I think so and I think you know um conversations uh, sorry content in in um, teacher training courses around international perspectives I think needs to be closer to home we don't need to look at international perspectives of what teaching and learning looks like in you know in in southeast Asia and um, uh, Scandinavia starting with what um, what the differences are in the home nations would be a really um, a useful approach because there are you know, significant different, some really basic differences. You know, the school starting age in Scotland is not calculated in September, the same as it is in England and Wales, uh, and, and Northern Ireland, and, and that has implications on school start times, and therefore what who's in reception at what time and all you know and that impacts on lots of other things there as well and I think we that there's a tendency or not even a tendency I think unless unless you're working in that particular area uh, I mean geographical area you don't have we don't hear the messages about what the differences are elsewhere and I think Part of that as well, differences tends to always have a bit of a negative connotation to it, you know, that we're doing it differently. So, you know, someone must be right and someone must be wrong. I think opening up conversations around, okay, well, we do it this way, we do it this way, what, why, what, you know, what's good about it, what's bad about it? I mean, we don't know in Wales at the moment, obviously, we haven't, this hasn't started and it won't all be, you know, unicorns and fairies and everybody, you know, (laughs) floating around with stars and all that kind of thing. There will be really significant challenges and it won't work everywhere because nothing, you know, there's, there's no one perfect way of doing it. But I think if there was more Um, acknowledgement of the different different approaches and more conversation around it then people could make much more informed choices around well yeah actually you know that 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 kind of ties in with why i want to teach or you know that ties in with what's attracted me to the profession and so that might be somewhere that that i'd be interested in in working or or training and rather than this you know at the moment as i said i think people just think about what happened when they were in school and assume that that's what they'll be going into and and that's that that's not necessarily a, a kind of helpful starting point
0: well hopefully um the article that you wrote in primary first is is opened that debate and obviously from that we've had this wonderful conversation and I know um robert morgan the new editor of primary first is very keen to, to 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 make sure that everyone knows it's a national association for primary education across um all all of those countries and so it's really important if it's something that you're listening to that you want to have a comment about that you do get in contact with us because we can actually and want to be sharing much more of these sorts of insights um as as we go forward let's just finish off by talking a little bit about how you got involved in in writing the article and actually th- that process so that anyone who wants to get involved and do the same sort of thing in whichever topic it has to be sort of understands that process a little bit
1: um so i was contacted by robert actually um um we um we go way back bob is welsh as well um, so <laughs> <laughs> um and um so i was in touch with him um about um some external examiner um roles he was um looking to get involved in some external examining in Cardiff Met, where I was working at that at that time, to be involved in the PGCE there, um, and we had a we were having a conversation about the differences between England and Wales and the work that he was doing, the work that I was doing, and he just mentioned that um, if I was interested, if there was anything um, particularly Welsh-wise that that I felt um, worth um, writing about, that um, that I should. Uh, Jot something down and send it in, which is um, which is which is what I did. It was a really straightforward um, process. So I, as I said at that, as I was having that conversation, that was when we were looking at um, revalidating the PGCE program in um, Cardiff Met, um, and I was looking at the standards, looking at the English standards and the Welsh standards. The curriculum conversations were going on, and so it was just that it all kind of you know all the all the pieces fell in at the same time. It was I was thinking this uh, thinking about well how will this transfer across. And Robert asked um what what kind of issues might be uh, um um worth exploring at that time so uh, yeah that it was um it was one of those um, serendipitous uh, mm-hmm. conversations
0: yeah i really like that and i think it's something i'd really like to emphasize as well is that an organisation and an association, no matter what its size, um, is only the sum of its people and the people of its members and the people that engage with everything. And, and that's something I think is really important um, that NAPE wants to establish more and more. Is you know have a conversation with us via Twitter or on our Facebook page or or become a member and and join through the website. Because um, what we want to do is to have more of these conversations. We want to have more backwards and forwards ideas. Um, and and I'm I'm so Grateful that this is a really fantastic example of of what can come out of those personal relationships, as well as actually having that sort of national association um, presence, which is, of course is what what Nape is. So, Jane, thank you so much for chatting to me. It's been absolutely fascinating and, and something which I think so many people will maybe not have even thought of or come across if they're very sort of um, England-centric. Um, and so I think this is why it's so incredibly important. And and hopefully it's got some people really thinking And um, and, as I said, the invitation to to be part of the primary first journal is um, is always there for people who want to get in contact so thank you very much for joining us
1: thank you i've really enjoyed it yeah and i hope uh, well let's see hopefully uh, we'll get some more um chit chat going and uh, um, carry the conversation on
0: lovely thank you so much indeed
1: well thanks